Michael was on my bus uh, years ago in the 90s, and um, I always thought she was one of the best people that ever was a worker on my bus, just the best, uh, just a, a wonderful, godly college, even as a college student, of course. And, and so it was a privilege and a thrill to be able to introduce her to my brother and how God worked that out, and uh, they were married, so uh, just wonderful to see how God works. Today, we're looking at um, Baptist history, and we've been studying all year. Today, we're looking at our 40th uh, person in um, in uh, Baptist history that I think everybody should know. And this morning, we're looking at John Richard Rice. He was born in Texas in 1895, uh, where his father, uh, Will Rice, uh, pastored a small church. Will Rice, before John was born, had gone to his Bible and heavily underscored Luke 163, the words of Zacharias uh, that, that he had written. Uh, his name is John. And um, you can still see that in that Bible that's on display in uh, John Rice uh, Museum. But uh, they weren't merely giving, this wasn't merely giving child a name, but but also an expression of hope that he would be a great preacher. And from his earliest days, his his mother called her him her little preacher boy, and uh, which would be remarkably fulfilled uh, years later. Uh, even as a little boy, someone would ask him, "What's what's your name, son?" And he would respond, "I am John, the Baptist preacher." And uh, so, but when he was five, his mother died, and he never forgot her plea for her children to meet her in heaven. And then uh, he would attend. Uh, School, of course, uh, really wanted to be a teacher, and that's what, what, where the direction he seemed to be going. At the age of nine, he was saved um, uh, in church after the pastor preached a sermon on the prodigal son. Um, it's interesting uh, that he makes a big uh, note of this in his life story, that no one helped him. He came forward and was saved there. And because of that, though, because he didn't have anybody help him and show him scripture, um, as a boy, he struggled with the assurance of his salvation for years. Um, later, he did receive that for reading John 5.24. Um, he, when he was 21, he was very poor, but when he was 21, he attended um, Decatur Baptist College, which I believe became Baylor University. I'm sorry, I'm blank on that. But um, uh, he put his way through college milking the cows and uh, was a waiter in the in the uh, college dining room. There he met uh, Lois Cook, who he would later marry uh, five years later. In 1921, again pursuing that idea of being a teacher, um, he had received a teacher certificate and he enrolled in the University of Chicago in 1921 um, to get a master's degree in education and psychology. But one night, uh, he took off from his studies, and he went downtown to the Pacific Garden Mission. And there, a man was preaching to the men. Uh, he wasn't very polished, um, as, as Rice remembers it, but, um, but the message surely touched Rice. And, and he thought, if God can use this man, surely a college English teacher should be able to be used also. And that night, he knelt beside a, beside a drunken man and led him to Christ. And his life now seemed to be changed. Um, he no longer had the desire for political and educational goals, but he was determined uh, to pursue the souls of men. So knowing that God had something else for him, he left the University of Chicago, moved back to Texas, uh, where he married Lois, and then um, began, uh, and he enrolled, of course, in, or not of course, but enrolled in the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary there in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, after graduation from seminary, he pastored for a few years, um, and became more and more associated with J. Frank Norris there in Fort Worth. 
Uh, he often supplied the pulpit in Norris's absence. Um, but this relationship brought him many enemies. As if you recall that story, the Southern Baptist Convention was really coming down on Norris because of his preaching against the modernism and the, and the lack of standards in the Southern Baptist Convention. And the, the, the convention was urging him to, to uh, you know, reject Norris. Um, this also caused him to lose many churches who were convention churches. But he had started a daily radio broadcast in the meantime, and that was making him very well known across the South. So his evangelistic campaigns continued. He purchased a tent, and he began preaching all across the country, beginning in the Fort Worth area. <clears throat> And the revivals lasted sometimes weeks with, um, with many hundreds of conversions. Uh, because of those meetings, <coughs> excuse me, he um, started about a dozen Baptist churches after those meetings. There, there would be several hundred people saved in a meeting. Um, um, they would get together, and uh, if, if God led them so, they would start a church. And, and Rice, again, started about a dozen Baptist churches from those, from those meetings in the uh, ensuing um, seven or eight years. Uh, in one meeting in 1932 in Dallas, um, there was such a large crowd and many, many hundreds were saved that um, he organized the Fundamentalist Baptist Church of Oak Cliff, uh, Texas. Um, 900 people united with that work to start that work, and they called him to be the pastor. So he pastored there uh, until 1939. The membership grew to 1,700 with over 8,000 conversions during that, during that uh, five or six years. Uh, it was here at this church that he started the Sword of the Lord in 1934. And this was a revival paper, a uh, weekly paper that went out uh, across the nation. It, start, it uh, started with 5,000 uh, uh, copies in its first issue, and it was offered for a dollar a year of subscription. Uh, in 1940, he resigned from his church and again uh, went into the field of full-time evangelism. Um, uh, the, 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 the idea of the full-time evangelist had almost disappeared. And that picture is of Dr. Bob Sr., Dr. Bob Jones Sr. And Dr. Bob Jones Sr. and Mordecai Ham are really the last of the large um, uh, evangelistic citywide campaigns. But they were almost disappearing. And there really was nobody uh, coming up to uh, take, take those, those type of meetings. Um, the sword Lord was having great impact in the meantime. Uh, John Rice's name was was uh, becoming very popular, and uh, he was featuring great soul winners of the past, great revivalists of the past in that meeting, and uh, there, he was preaching hard against sin and modernism. Um, and it was uh, he then that God led to go back into the into this idea of of large. Um, large evangelistic meetings, and he did. Um, along the way, he saw thousands and thousands of people saved. Uh, there was one meeting in, in um, Chicago, actually, where he and Dr. Bob Jones Sr. Uh, preached. Over 2,000 people were saved in that four-week meeting. Just an amazing, amazing uh, campaigns of, of that day, and that was in 1946. But the Sword of the Lord continued to grow by leaps and bounds, um, and he decided to leave evangelism and, and spend all his time with, with the Sword of the Lord. Um, by the time of his death, it had become the largest independent religious weekly in the world. Um, the Sword of the Lord undoubtedly uh, had the greatest impact upon fundamentalism in the 20th century. Uh, many of you will remember, I remember, uh, there will be a picture of the sword here soon, uh, maybe, maybe already passed it, um, coming into my home every week and how familiar that paper was uh, in my home. But... Um, John Rice's greatest legacy may have been his writings. Uh, he is called the 20th century's mightiest pen. He authored more than 200 books and booklets, 
Uh, they've sold in excess of 60 million copies before his death. Um, you, you, we all know the, um, the little pamphlet, What Must I Do to Be Saved, that was written in the 1920s, was first published in, in, uh, in J. Frank Norris's uh, newspaper, The Fundamentalist. Um, some 32 million copies have been distributed in English alone. I think over 10 million copies in Japanese. Just amazing the the uh, the coverage of that of that small track. And along with Ford Porter's famous track, uh, God's Simple Plan of Salvation. Uh, these two are the most effective and widely used explanation of God's simple plan, salvation plan, in print today. Um, Dr. Rice went to home to be with the Lord in 1980. Um, one author said this, and I think it was interesting, I, I, I believe it was uh, Dr. Sumner who wrote his, his, his biography, he said this, he said, uh, John Rice has been one of the most widely used and controversial figures in Christendom, but none can de- define or, or, or defy, deny his accomplishments. He revived the spirit of evangelism in America in the mid-20th century when it had almost faded from the American scene, and, and certainly has to be considered one of the most prolific writers in the history of Christendom. His weapon was the weekly sword of the Lord for over 40 years. The conducting of soul-winning conferences helped ignite uh, the fires of soul-winning and evangelism in, in preachers around the country more than any man of his time. Daring to be different in preaching and convictions, Rice is one of the most underrated Christian leaders of this century. And then he says this, in truth, he is one of the most significant men in Christian history. And you'd have to agree with that, knowing uh, all that Dr. Rice accomplished, uh, great great servant of God. Um, his biography, uh, as I alluded to here, um, written by Robert Sumner, is a great read. If you want to read uh, an exciting, exciting story about a, a man of God in our in our time, and I have a minute or so of, of uh, a sermon of his. I think we'll try to listen to that so you can hear John Rice's preaching. I think this video was taken in the 1950s, um, so it's an older video as he preached. I wanted to get him more in his prime for you to hear. Listen to the text then in Jeremiah 8:20. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. This scripture teaches a solemn doctrine that is taught everywhere in the Bible, a doctrine that the time for salvation passes away. Someone says, well, can't I be saved any time I want to? No, sir. There's a divine law that opportunities do not endure forever. The poet has put it in these words, There is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at its flood lead on to fortune. Neglected, all the balance of their lives is cast in shallows and in miseries. You see, in the matter of salvation, it's today. The Bible says today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your heart. If one speaks in your ears and says, not now, not tonight, don't be in a rush about it. Wait till you settle down. Wait till you have your education. Wait till you make your money. Wait till you have your good time. If there's a voice that whispers in your ear and says, wait, you know, that's Satan's voice. That's the voice of sin and the accuser and destroyer. That's the voice of the enemy of your soul. For God says today... The Spirit of God says today, if you want to be saved, today is the time. Someone says, can I be saved any time? All right, I hope you can hear that. And uh, I hope that uh, 
that's something that might spur some interest and, and go back and listen to these great men of God. And, and, I, and I, I was privileged, as many of, many of you were, probably to hear Dr. Rice preach before, before he passed away. And so thank the Lord this morning for Dr. John R. Rice.